Welcome to our CyberWise Chats, where we talk about the challenges of raising and teaching digital kids. I'm Diana Graber, author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. Join every episode with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. Our always lively conversations tackle topics like cyberbullying, screen time, TikTok, and everything in between. We've got some great guests and promise each chat will give you the tips, tricks, and confidence you need to help kids use technology safely and wisely. All right, I think we're recording and I'm gonna start the webinar here in a moment. There, start, the webinar has started. Hi, hi everyone. How are Hello. you? <laughs> Good. Well, welcome. Welcome everyone to our CyberWise chat. Uh, today, our topic is Kids Love TikTok Challenges, What Parents Need to Know. Um, I'm Diana Graber of CyberWise and author of Ra Raising Humans in a Digital World. Here in my Brady Bunch, that shows my age, my Brady Bunch boxes, <laughs> I have Pamela Rutledge somewhere below me, who is the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. Arias next to me, who is our community manager at CyberWise and CyberCivics. She will be manning our chat box today, and we love to make these things interactive. So please, if you have questions as we go along, put them in the chat box. She will interrupt us, and we will answer them. And below me, I think, it, we have Rick Andrioli, and I'm so pleased to have Rick here. He's the editor-in-chief of Parentology, which is a great site if you don't know, already know about. It has so much information for parents. It's where I learned a lot about TikTok challenges, which is why we invited Rick to join us here today. Um, so for those of you who are not familiar with TikTok, very briefly, it's one of the most downloaded apps in the world. Um, it was formerly known as Musical.ly, and it's really popular with teens. Uh, many use it simply to record themselves lip syncing and dancing to popular songs, which they then edit and post to the app. Uh, believe it or not, over 500 million people use TikTok, and as it grows in popularity, so does the way it's used. So participating in challenges is one of the new ways people use TikTok, and in a nutshell, what people do is a user or a group of users, sometimes a celebrity, will do something and encourage other people to do it also and to post it on the app. And then all of a sudden it becomes what they call a viral challenge. And I learned today, I don't know if you guys knew this, but this started with Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon in 2018 uh, with something he called the hashtag tumbleweed challenge. So he challenged his viewers to, uh, to use this hashtag to film themselves rolling like a tumbleweed and to post it on TikTok. And so <laughs> thus began the TikTok challenge. So did you guys know that? I, I didn't yeah. until this one. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I knew it was responsible for uh, the success of Old Town Road, but. Uh. <laughs> so since Jimmy Fallon started us on this trend, there have been all kinds of TikTok challenges and Rick, help. What Can you give us a summary of the kind of TikTok challenges you guys have covered in the last year? So there, yeah, there are a lot of different challenges. We find that they fall into a couple of different categories, uh, but some of the most popular ones of the last year uh, that were on the positive side usually involve a celebrity of some kind, uh, like uh, JLo and her kids. They do a lot of them, but uh, they did one to Megan Thee Stallion's uh, Body Audi Challenge. Uh, the flip the switch challenge uh, she did with A-Rod, but then like Gordon Ramsay did it with his kids and a lot of uh, celebrities took that on with their families. Probably the biggest uh, challenge that was just fun was the Fleetwood Mac challenge last year. And I think that one crossed over so much because 
not only did young people find it interesting, but adults actually knew what they were talking about because it was Fleetwood Mac. And then you had the members of Fleetwood Mac get involved with it. So Mick Fleetwood first did one, then Stevie Nicks did her version, then Lindsey Buckingham did his. So that one grew and then it kept growing as the band members got involved. Okay, so I played a little TikTok challenge for my husband and he's like, why? Like, what is the point? And so <laughs> this is when I'm so glad to have Dr. Rutledge here who can explain to us what is the appeal of these things and does it seem like the appeal has grown during the pandemic? Well, certainly with the pandemic, we have a lot more free time. But I think the important thing to think about with TikTok is it is participatory. And a lot of re people worry about stuff like screen time. But in fact, the impact of technology has to do with how you use it much more than how much you use it. So this is an app that invites active participation. It has a very low hurdle for entry, right? It's a free app. You don't have to be talented. All you have to be able to do is press the record button and the post button. So it's really you know open door for everyone, which means you don't have to be part of the in crowd or a celebrity or something to be able to put your video up there. And right now it's, it's very social and teens are starved for social contact. And students are always starved for social contact because it's part of their development to want to connect with other people. But this really opens the door to that. You know, I was uh, in, woke up in the middle of the night like you do. Um, I was thinking about how this allows people to be both like others, right? The same part of the crowd, as well as as individual. In other words, it allows them to show something about themselves individual, which fits right into one of those weird psych theories called optimal distinctiveness. But it's really important point in how you navigate your identity. So weird stuff besides, and, and I know, Rick, you've got some almost hair-raising horror stories about how this the challenges have been used, but there's some really powerful and positive things that can happen with this type of interactivity. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I know, you know, what hits the headlines often are the dangerous and scary and our kids died. You know, we all are, I mean, I'm, I do that just to get people to read. We all do that. Right. But the thing is, there's so many great things happening on TikTok too, that we fail to recognize sometimes when we're looking at the dangerous and horrible stuff. So Rick, you mentioned earlier that these challenges are broken down into categories. So, you know, for purpose to get them out of the way, Let's talk yeah, about yeah. the dangerous ones that you've you've run across in the past year. Right. So so there have been internally we classify them as kind of four different challenges. And there's offensive challenges, uh, dangerous ones, uh, challenges around getting high, and those can be dangerous, but we take them as a separate category because sometimes they're silly or it's to get the reaction. So, so they're being told they're going to get high, but that might not actually be what happens. It's more about the stupidity of what happens as a result of trying. Uh, and then the fun and positive or helpful ones. And like one of the things, Diana, that you brought up was that there are positive things going on. There, a big one last year, and it gets a, a lot, a lot of traffic on our site through Google searches is one called uh, the I Had Pasta Tonight Challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's one that kids put on as a code when they're feeling depressed or um, I don't know if it goes so far as they're having suicidal thoughts, but they're definitely not having a good day. And they put, I had pasta tonight as a way to speak in code. 
without their parents knowing what's going on or whatever. And then the TikTok community searches for that and rallies around them and lifts them up. And it's like, look, look, your mom does this for you. This is good. You know, you have a network of support here. This is great. And th and that's one of the ones that when I see so many people searching it and coming to us, it makes me feel good about what TikTok's doing uh, and helping kids, uh, like Pam saying, stay connected and yeah, communicate. So important right now. Yeah. And actually I did a little, uh, I think it was a podcast about that pasta thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's actually on the Cyberwise TikTok hub that maybe Arias could share the URL in the chat box. Mm -hmm. Um, if you want to learn more about that specific thing on TikTok, it's a whole little podcast on that. So, but you bring up such a good point and maybe Pam, you want to elaborate? Well, on I just wanted to point out that that there's tremendous leverage in in the social media because a kid might have code for peeling poorly, but in you know in the olden days, right, they would have only had a limited circle of friends. Right. Now they can reach out, and it really increases the opportunity for other people to provide support because not everybody has that kind of empathy, yeah. and especially you know of teens. So it really opens up with the opportunity for people in all kinds of situations to reach out and provide a kind of support that that wouldn't be available otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have to throw this in. I just came from teaching a Zoom class to eighth graders. And I can attest, man, these kids are having a tough time. It is a really uh, scary, solitary time for kids. We're going a year into this. So, you know, I don't want to dwell on the bad things about TikTok because, as you say, for them, it's respite. It's fun. It's cool mm -hmm. what they're doing. And they're connecting and they're, they, it's lifting a lot of kids up. So we got to remember that when we talk about these other things that are happening. But Rick, there was one, and I'm kind of jumping ahead here to mixing these up. But one thing I had not heard about before mm -hmm. were some of the offensive challenges that you mentioned. And I, and I think those are interesting. interesting. Could you explain those to us? Yeah. So there were three, three last year that we found uh, really troubling the second we saw them. And when we put them on the site, the traffic spiked. And, and uh, in case people here are wondering, what we've done on Parentology is we've put a lot of these posts on the homepage today so that if you're interested in learning more about an individual challenge or the dangerous ones or whatever, we have a whole article with a ton of the dangerous challenges put into them. Uh, but so, so some of the ones that I'm talking about are located on the homepage if you go to parentology.com. But the, um, the three that really stood out in my mind for the dangerous ones was there was the coronavirus challenge, which was where some influencers got the idea of licking public toilet seats. <laughs> now, why not? I, right. Yeah. And they were like, they were like, see, it's so clean that I can lick a toilet seat. Now, I don't even know, but you know, and it was the thing about that one that did not catch on. Thank you, God. Was um, it was influencers trying to push it, and you know that's where TikTok doesn't always work. When you've got an influencer that's trying to get you to do something, if it doesn't feel organic or authentic, same with any of these challenges, right? People won't glom onto it as easily, right? Um, also, that's risky. That seem it's risky even if there wasn't coronavirus to be licking a public toilet seat. Let's <laughs> put that out there, everybody. Um, so, so there was that one. Uh, one of the other ones that um, was big was the skull breaker challenge, or it was also called the tripping challenge, uh, where, you know, say I'm doing this jumping thing and friends are behind me and they try to trip me, 
right? I, I equated it to when I was in junior high and, you know, a kid would sit and we'd pull the chair out from under them because we thought that was funny and they'd land on their bum. That, that was kind of thing. But what kids weren't thinking about is, okay, that kid can bang his head into the ground or, you know, really get hurt. And in fact, two kids, um, we wrote about it, uh, got arrested for really harming somebody doing that challenge, right? Um, another one, this is brand new. Well, it's brand new. It's within this year. There's the sexy silhouette challenge. And this is one that seems like it's not going to be a big deal, right? Kids take a Snapchat filter to do a filter over their body and they do like a sexy pose or a sexy dance. They post on TikTok. Well, a young woman photographer started posting on TikTok that a photographer can strip away that filter from you if they get a hold of your video. So you're in there thinking you're being private or sexy or whatever, wearing your undergarments, and suddenly there's no filter. And now everybody's got this photo of you or a video of you huh. that they can send around. It, it's that whole thing of, you know, sexting or sending. Yeah. So you, thank you. I just realized that I need to update the sexting lesson in cyber civics now with a new development. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, well, there's a the thing too. I think that kids also, they don't think, they don't think about the ramifications longer term, you know, like, oh, when you go for a job, right? And if I Google your name, there's suddenly these photos of you or yeah, this thing right. coming up, yeah. right? And And then you've got that false sense of security of, well, they can't see my face. There's a filter over it, but this is technology. You guys, we've all got green screens behind us showing this wall. And if you take it down, there's reality. And that's kind of the metaphor for what can happen here. Yeah. So the long-term thinking, Pam, you want to take a crack at that? Cause that is what I think a lot of parents and teachers forget about is what is happening up here. We look at these challenges and we go, that is so stupid. Why would right. you do that? But yeah, well, the one thing I want to say about that, that I think people, I mean, that struck me when I first saw that, and I didn't know about the filter thing, so that's wonderful information, yeah. is that those kinds of things really emphasize body image, mm -hmm. you know, which you know, not everyone has that level of vulnerability, but for those who do, that becomes a real sticking point. And so it's really important, I think, when parents talk with their kids is talk to them about how other things can reflect back on how you feel about yourself so that they have some skills to deal with that. Because mm -hmm. when I saw that, I mean, well, the one I saw, Rick, was a, was quite a young girl then who went, you know, there I am in real life, you know, with my clothes on, my sweats, and then now here I am leaning against the door um, looking like, you know, I'm one of those bumper stickers, uh, trucks. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just thought, what a terrible message that's sending about our inner self in a kind of metaphorical way. Yeah. So I want to check in with Arias because I see some red things in the chat box. Are there questions or comments that, that you want to bring up? Oh, you're muted, Arias. We're very lucky because we have um, Darren Lohr from the White Hatter team. So he's offering his input. Um, but he wanted to remind us of the drop kick challenge was a really brutal challenge. And then, but he was also yeah. saying, in his work, what he's noticed is, you know, kids that are kind of outliers in their communities are finding amazing support within TikTok. And he's also seen that many of the apps are now adopting similar features because he feels like it plays to kids' curiosity and playfulness and creativity. So he's loving that we're, you know, touching on those points. But great. Well, yeah. that's a great segue. Thank you, Arias. But that's a great segue to you, Rick. What are some of the most playful, fun ones that you've seen in the last year? So... 
the most playful fun ones would be the ones uh i think the ones that i mentioned earlier the ones with um uh the flip the switch challenge um there was one that you know it also depends on how the other person reacts to it but there's the um fake influencer challenge where so i don't know this seems Pam really meta, but like I sit there in the room and I'm acting like, okay, so I'm filming you watching me and I'm talking into the phone as though I am an influencer and I've got followers. And, but really what I'm doing is my camera's here and I'm filming you and to get your reaction. And then that's what I post. But that one went over really well. Or um, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second because I think that's what a lot of adults don't get about TikTok. And I find really interesting is because, you know, this idea of being an influencer. And I think kids see TikTok as a place where maybe they can achieve that, which I think is so interesting to want to be this sort of mini celebrity type of thing. Like, what can you give us some context for that, Pam? Well, I mean, we're human. Humans are social beings, right? We want validation from others. And that's not a shortcoming. It's how we navigate, you know, our, our social environment. I, I like that you guys like me. Do you know what I mean? In other words, I like getting positive feedback. Everyone does. But it's very easy to mistake a click or a like or a, you know, a thumbs up as something that is really reflective of your value. But what's all over the news? You know, so-and-so makes, you know, $20 billion a year on endorsements because she can lip sync. And it really sends a... a terrible message to kids. There was a there was a survey a year ago. 53% of the kids in this UK survey wanted to either be a YouTube star or a social media influencer. It was ahead of doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs. I mean, it was yeah. unbelievable. The price of entry is so low on these apps to be, anyone can produce, create, be a presenter, entertainer. So it's really changed the game as far as that's concerned. Um, the other thing I want to ask you about, Rick, and you mentioned this earlier, and it's one that I found really disturbing was the George Floyd. Um, yeah, yes. And we put that back up on the homepage this morning. Two, uh, so two that were really disturbing last year, the George Floyd challenge happened right during the uprising. And it was young white boys kneeling on each other's necks. And, um, you know, TikTok shut it down really quickly. Uh, but that cropped up right away. The other, similarly in poor taste, was um, the autism challenge, where kids would pretend that they were differently abled and mock kids with autism, severe autism as well. Um, But yeah, the George Floyd challenge was the one that really, really set off TikTok and our contact at TikTok, you know, was very quick to say, "We're we're doing everything we can to shut it down right away. So I want to take a breath here because at the end, and I forgot to mention this earlier, we're going to give you takeaway tips to protect your kids on this specific app. But I want to stop here because this is so important and it's really disturbing to me, these offensive ones and kids jump in. And what would a parent do if you found that your child was participating in an offensive thing like the George Floyd challenge or the autism challenge? I mean, it makes me so sad because that's really cyberbullying, right? Um, how, what would you do? How would you address that, Pam? I think you, you, you treat it as bullying. I mean, you treat it as, as, you know, sort of one of those deviations from being a good citizen and you do exactly what you would do otherwise. But I think the most important thing is to do it as a teaching moment, not as a yelling moment, because 
that really shows a lack of maturity and a lack of self-confidence that they're willing to do something like that. It's sort of a grab for power and I'm important and all those things that fuel a lot of bullying unless they're total psychopaths. So what you really want to do is take down and sit down and say, what would that be like for you? What does you know, what's society like if this is okay? And, and all the questions that you spend time, Diana, I mean, you're better equipped oh than I am here. Yeah. You know, this makes me think about an incident I had back in September, October, where I was teaching a class on a Monday and the kid said, Mrs. Graber, did you know that we saw a suicide on TikTok over the weekend? And I was blown away. So I researched it and a guy blew out his brains on TikTok. A lot of kids saw it. Half of my class saw it. We talked about it. I wrote an article about it in Psychology Today. Maybe Arius can share it in the chat box. But um, I was lucky because I had these kids in the context of a digital literacy class, cyber civics. So for an hour, we talked about it. And these kids really needed to talk. They needed to, I mean, they didn't have any other safe space, really. And mm -hmm. for them discussing it together and wondering why TikTok couldn't block that and what could they do and how to report it. And it was a really great conversation. So I feel lucky to be able to talk to kids in the classroom about this. I wish, I wish every kid in America had a place where they could make sense of this world where they spend most of their time. Um, but yeah, kids are seeing crazy stuff on this app and they don't have a place to turn to figure it all out. And we have to remember where kids are, you know, they're testing and they, their judgment center in their brain isn't going to work for another 10 years. So they don't know how to say, this is wrong. I'm going to stop. They dive in because they're kids and they're curious. So we have to always remember that, I think. And I yeah, think, to, sorry, Pam, in defense of TikTok, they don't monitor what goes up before it goes up, right? Yeah. It's a it's a community monitored place. So, you know, there's this thing where like, people can get mad at TikTok that that video's there. And yes, TikTok's doing what they can to get it removed. But at the same time, the kids seen it. So really it's what you're talking about, Diana, is well, how do we have that conversation or the, have the child feel safe enough to go to the parent and be able to talk to them about it. Yeah. Right. Sorry, yeah, I think, and Pam will probably elaborate on this, but you know, a parent's normal knee-jerk reaction is take the app, the app's bad, get rid of it. Right. And you know, there's gonna be another app down the road. And yeah, taking yeah. them away, that's not a that's no no you know, no child's gonna learn how to use these apps wisely if we take them away. They have to learn how to live with apps. Do you agree, Pam? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're on the same soapbox that I'm standing on, which is yeah. that it's so important to start a conversation with your kids early and develop a sense of trust so that you can express your worries and they can express theirs back. But you have to remember that that phone, that app, that computer, that lap, you know, tablet, that's the portal to their social world, especially right, right now. That's yeah. the only way that they can have contact with others. And Diana's right. They don't have the prefrontal cortex fully grown in until they're 25, which doesn't really explain a lot of behaviors in the late 20s. But <laughs> it's really true. They can't judge. They are curious. And you have to be there to help them. And, and it, But it's digital, so you can't know unless they tell you. Yeah. And, you know, it, stuff happens on every app. I mean, there was every a story app. we talked about just last week of some child that bought drugs on Snapchat and unfortunately mm -hmm. overdosed, you know. And so I was getting calls. I'm sure you guys were, too. Shouldn't shouldn't kids get rid of Snapchat? And it's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. They're going to go somewhere else because they're kids, you know. Right. So it's not about the app. It's about their behavior on the app. So Right. And, you know, just thinking from a business perspective, you know, Facebook, Instagram has done everything they can to try to take business from TikTok and Snapchat. 
So great, we've taken away Snapchat. Then they're over on Instagram, Facebook, and and really there are a lot of fringe social media things. When when the Trump administration was going to block TikTok, we started writing about all the possible substitutes that could come in. There are five different companies that could become TikTok tomorrow, yeah. and kids will find them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's it's kids. Go ahead. Okay. Say they're not loyal to apps; they're loyal no. to to the community. Correct. <laughs> wherever they are. Yeah. I love that saying too. Kids aren't addicted to technology. They're addicted to each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're going to find a way to collaborate. And the other thing, what the pandemic has done is made us realize they need their tools. I mean, they, that's where they're doing school. And when a kid is doing school, he's also probably having a chat with his classmates or with whoever at the same time. So that is no solution. Um, we need to teach kids how to use these tools safely and wisely. But along those lines, do you, do you, I'm going to put this out to both of you and you can both address it separately. Do you think apps like TikTok do enough to protect kids? Rick, what do you think? I think they do everything they can with having a business model, which is that weird uh, side of me that has to think about ad sales and subscribers and all of that kind of thing. Um, uh, a social media site, I, I worked at um, a, a, a class reunion site years ago. And one of the things that they never wanted to do was make you have to put a credit card in in order to join because nobody would do it, right? So that's why they say 13 and over, but there's no age verification, right? It's just kind of the way um, that it is because that's the way they can keep the numbers up for their investors and keep functioning as a business. But at the same time, they put all of the um, responsibility then on the parent, right? And their first response would always be, it's a parent's job to monitor the kids. What do you think, Pam? Do you think they're doing enough? uh, You know, first of all, I mean, if you think about, I mean, I couldn't find a number of how many TikTok videos were uploaded a day, but I know in case of YouTube, there are like 300 million hours of YouTube video posted every single day. I don't care how big a team you have at Facebook, YouTube, or TikTok, what what are algorithms and the best AI, you are not going to capture everything, especially because it's in such social currency right? It's all idiomatic. And you don't, you know, if something is bad, you don't know if it's actually bad or if that's bad, right? I mean, in other words, it's too difficult. So they're doing a good job, but we have to be involved too. And so what I always tell people is, you know, obviously you tell your kids to report it. And I know that you've had them tell you, well, what good does that do? Then I go to other social media and I complain about the fact that TikTok's not pulling down videos. And I do that on Twitter. And then I do it on Facebook so that it's triangulated because not pay attention to the reports on TikTok, but I'll tell you, they watch Twitter. Yeah. That's such right? a and th- That's a great tip. And I will take that back to my students. Cause I, like Pam said, they told me that they saw an offensive video on TikTok. A bunch of them reported it and they were so bummed that nothing happened. So triangulation on other apps, I think is a really good solution. Um, I know for myself, I, I flag misinformation all the time on Facebook and Facebook responds to that. So it does work. You just have to be very, you know, you have to try again and again. You cannot give up. So and I'm going to uh, quickly go to areas because I see were there a couple questions in there that you want to yeah. share with the group? Oh, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to have you hear my fingers typing. Um, yeah, there were some great comments um by Darren he was just saying that um you know it's really good when we're talking to our kids about this that we're speaking in their language and um that we're sharing things that are relevant to their lives instead of just our fears 
And then one of the parents asked, or Tony Birdsong actually asked if um, it would be a good idea to get your own TikTok profile. So um, I say yeah. yes. What do you guys say to that? Well, I say yes. You don't necessarily have to use it. Um, you, if you try and make a video of yourself, you'll start to appreciate all the creativity and thought and time that goes into making those silly things. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Rick? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We did an article. Uh, there was a study done uh, about how to stop kids from lying, how to get kids to tell the truth. And one of the key takeaways was if the kid thinks you're spying on them, they're likely to lie. But if you are honest with them and say, you know, I have a TikTok and I'm going to be watching what you do, you know, and you're honest with them about it, there is more openness between the kid and the adult. Yeah. And I always recommend to parents when it's time for your child to have a, their own social media account, um, open one too, so you can see what it is they're doing. And together, look at the user agreement, look at the privacy policy, look at their settings. You know, it's an investigation. Do it together. The kid complains it takes too much time. You tell them how much time do you think you're going to be spending on this app? So it's a big investment of time. So put the time up front to use it safely and wisely. There are also a lot of family-friendly challenges. Um, I don't have this on the homepage, but I'll make a note to put it up there when we're done here. Um, there are a lot of challenges that families can do together on TikTok. And there's no better way in my mind to have the young person think that you care about their world than for you to step into it and have you show them how to do a TikTok. Or them show you. Sorry, them show you how to, yes. Kids <laughs> love being smarter than their parents. Yeah. Right? I think my, my, my daughters would have died or they still would <laughs> die if I ever tried to do anything. They, I can barely take their picture and send it to grandma. So <laughs> remember every child's different. So. All right. Um, what I wanted to do is really uh, have some takeaways for people here. And we're going to share this afterwards on our website, um, on our Cyberoid chat URL. And I'm sure Rick will be sharing this also. Mm -hmm. and, and, but I wanted to give some tangible takeaways on how to use specifically this app safely. Um, so I'm going to quickly dive in with three that I wrote down. Um, number one, be respectful of age limits. There's a lot of misinform—I mean, a lot of misinformation and also inappropriate content that kids under 13 just aren't ready for. Uh, number two, they have great settings on TikTok, which we can talk more about in a minute. But their family sharing or pairing is really easy to use on TikTok and it allows you to pair a parent to pair their account with their child so that they can, you know, restrict things and, and make you know limits and all that. But I will say that my number three tip is even better than that one. And that's to educate your kids to use this filter that they keep between their ears because I've never met a teen that can't get around any settings that you put on an app. So <laughs> talk about it, you know, tell them how it impacts their digital reputation, et cetera, is super right. important. So I know Pam has similar takeaways, but she's right. Mine are more generic. So you know, my first one, you know, stay calm, don't freak out, because you really need to be able to listen. Because yeah. as every, you know, you don't you don't want to drive the balloon underwater and have it pop up someplace else where you don't know. Uh, the second is, uh, you know, be curious, get smart, find out what they like about it. As Diana says, find out all the the things that are going on with that app, so you know how to use it. That's the best reason to have an. Uh, your own account. So you can play around a little bit and peek around the privacy settings. And then the third one is to connect, talk early, talk often, establish that bridge so that you can do that important thing, which is help them think critically because you aren't going to be there. They have to make choices and, and you need to arm them with the best skill ever. 
Well said. So true. So Rick, what would be your three takeaways that we haven't covered or that you want to elaborate on? Just the, the um, they did, TikTok just released their uh, new uh, parental controls. That's the word. Uh, that updated things that really help with underage kids. Um, if the kid is 13 or over, can the child get private messages or not? Uh, they can't unless you deliberately turn it on. Uh, they can't get contacted by people. There's a lot of good things that they put in there. Um, one of the statistics that we found was uh, that 41% of TikTok users are between 16 and 24 years old, but it's estimated that a third of TikTok users may be 14 and under. And that's where that's where you run into some of these challenges where there are um, where there's a real negative, like where a child dies or something, because they're doing it. They're doing a challenge in private. A lot of these challenges are done with friends where there's somebody kind of like watching out. So if you bang yourself. There's help there. So so it's about that kind of thing of um, making sure if your child is under 13, that they're not on the service, you know, mm-hmm. um, you and going with that, you know, Diana, you guys have that contract uh, that you put out for for parents and child with a phone or with social media use and that kind of thing. I think that's really an important thing because if you are deciding to give your child a phone at 13 or under, there's a whole big conversation that needs to be had about that. Right, exactly. And and I think Aries will probably share that URL too because that tech agreement, you can do it separately for every app and, and really have agreements with your child. And you know, Rick, when you talked about the underage kids, I, I, I mentioned this in the post I wrote last week about that young girl in Italy. What was she, 10? And yeah. she had that challenge where the kids were asphyxiating themselves and she mm-hmm. died. And yeah. that was the first thing I thought is like, what the heck is a 10-year-old doing alone on TikTok? I mean, come on, you know? Mm-hmm. So that would be such an easy solution to solve a lot of these problems is really respect those age limits. Because young kids, they just don't have that filter. They can't figure this all out yet. and. They're just not ready for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, well, I'm going to quickly talk a little bit more about family pairing. Rick, it sounds like you know a lot about it, but have you guys done an article on that yet? Yeah. So we did a whole post on family pairing. I can, I didn't put it in a doc for Aris, but I can do it. Okay. Perfect. Um, and just for anyone listening, um, it's really easy to use. You go to your profile page, you tap on the three dots in the upper right-hand corner. Then you tap on uh, digital well-being, and then you tap on family pairing. And it's so easy. It literally walks you through how to pair your account with your child's and lets you get to all those settings we talked about. So urge you to, to try that out. And when your kid disables it, come to us for cyber civics in the classroom, and we'll teach them how to <laughs> take care of themselves in the classroom because I, you know... Any parental control is only as good as the kid is willing to keep it on his phone or her phone. (laughs) So uh, any last words on safety or just this app in general, Pam? Uh, No, just, you know, keep an open mind because kids like stupid stuff. I mean, watch some of the movies that they love, right? And, And, you know, potty jokes and all of that stuff that seem disgusting are, are really funny to them. So there's, they're enjoying this. And so it's important for them to be able to do that in a safe way. Yeah. Last words, Rick. Um, sorry. I'm, I'm that kid who's thinking he can multitask and as Pam has told me, you can't do that. You can't do that. Um, 
I was trying to get the the family pairing up on the homepage. Um, you know, it, it's really yeah, Ross, that's pretty good. For, know, right? for everything, it really comes down to conversation and communication. Everything at the end of the day, everything we have written about parental controls, whatever it is, whether it's an iPhones or Facebook or Snapchat, yeah. everything the experts always say is the parent has to be able to talk to the kid and they. And that goes for creepers, right? Because that's the big one parents worry about is creepers online. Well, if you and your child have a open communication about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, those kinds of things, the child will go to you immediately when something wrong happens. Yeah. They're smart. They know what's right and wrong when it comes to totally. those things. Yeah. It's, it's almost like to give them tactics, you know, that mm -hmm. they know that they can come to you if these things happen. They can report it to the app if these things happen. They can look out for their friends and talk to their friends. Like just give them steps. And you can use that, do that by using our tech agreement. You can use that just by simply talking to your kids and laying out like here are the parameters when you use these apps. It's pretty easy. But I would say, and 